Hey, this is Double J, Jeff Jarrett, WWE Hall of Famer, and you're listening to the My One Two Three Cents Podcast. It's my personality to be jittery. It's part of my charm. Wrestling fans, are you ready? It's time for my one, two, three cents of the podcast on the Jittery Monkey Podcasting Network. Give me the hell yeah! Now, here's your host. The man is also a very long, dear, personal friend of mine. The guy have a name? Yes, he has a name. Kevin Huntsberger. Woo! If you've dreamed of becoming a professional wrestler, it's time to make that dream a reality. The Stride Pro Wrestling Training Academy is now enrolling new students. Classes meet on Tuesdays and Thursday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. Be sure to check out the Stride Pro Wrestling Facebook page at facebook.com slash stridepro-wrestling and get enrolled now. Hey friends, welcome to episode 426 of the My 123 Cents podcast. My name is Kevin Huntsberger. I am your host and uh, man, I'm telling you, this new year... New me, not so new podcast. You know, I I, I really, honestly, legitimately uh, tonight, Sunday night, as I record this, because again, this was another one of those weeks from like, ah, and I don't want this to be a, a, a session of of complaining or or whatever, but this week just literally evaporated before my very eyes. Um, you know, it was the first full week of, of work that I've had since the middle of December, which I know, woe was me, cry me a river. Um, but also, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday night was basketball cheer. And then Saturday and Sunday, we were on the road. We had uh, two different road trips to the same area up near St. Louis so it wasn't terribly far, but took me out of the loop and out of the pocket for getting stuff together and, and doing a podcast. So I am falling back and relying on my old standby of wrestling under the influence. And Chad, I am not driving. I am in my house. Uh, it is about 6.30 on Sunday night as I record this, uh, and I'm not going anywhere. I, th- I don't know if I said it or if he heard it wrong, but last week he asked me if I said I was drinking and driving or something along those lines. And I, I, I don't know what I said. I was, you know, this year already three weeks in or not even three full weeks in yet. It's just been a kind of chaotic already. And I, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I'm, I don't know. I, you know, but anyway, as I said earlier, I was walking the dogs tonight, um, and was doing a little, um, thinking about, the direction and things that I want to do with the podcast that I I don't know are going to be feasible or attainable. Um, but I know I, I probably, because we're, you know, 426 episodes in now and, and, and maybe it's time for a change. I don't know. Let me know what you think. I, I, I often rely on and ask you all for your advice, your input, your thoughts, your one, two, three cents, if you will, uh, on this podcast, because I don't know. I don't know 
what is next or what is what is happening. I'm going to continue, obviously, to drop a show every Monday, but I, I, I want to, to do it with some meaning and and for folks to be involved in the process and, and like and enjoy what I'm doing as well. So uh, I do want to remind you Stride Pro Wrestling has two shows coming up in February, February 4th, No Love Lost, back over at the Legacy Fitness in Marion, Illinois, the former Gold's Gym. It's over by the Walmart Supercenter. If you're familiar at all with Southern Illinois, Williamson County, Marion specifically. Uh, then two weeks later, on February 18th, it's a fundraiser for the Swings softball team. We're back over at the Sioux Drive Center, which is down the road from Legacy Fitness. It's behind the old mall in Marion. Um, check that out, too. Great shows. It's going to be fun wrestling action. And then it's all counting down and leading to Stridiversary, which is happening on Saturday, February. I'm sorry, Saturday, March 4th. And that is also going down at the Sioux Drive Center, where Stridiversary was last year, where Fight for Power was last year, as well as the Stride Rumble. So looking forward to some shows coming up, getting my fix of Stride Pro Wrestling, because like I said last week, I missed the show last week, New Year's Knockout, uh, but it is available on YouTube. Check that out as well. Again, those seeds, as Tyler and I talked a couple weeks ago, the seeds are being planted for Stridiversary, and, and some folks making comments on the Stride page, they want this and this and this, and it's like, just be patient. Uh, I think that's one thing with wrestling fans in general, and I'm, I'm painting a big stroke here with, with this brush, but wrestling fans are impatient, I think society in general these days is impatient. We want that instant payoff, that instant gratification. And I mean, think back to the 80s, and, and that's really, um, <clears throat> as I think of, of a direction for the podcast of, of go- doing more, and I don't talk a lot about current stuff. I, I really don't. Uh, every once in a while, and I know last week when we did the Ask My One, Two, Three Cents, there were some current modern-day questions. And of course, you know, I was doing some speculation with Vince McMahon, and now he is back, and Stephanie McMahon has since resigned. Um, it's going to be interesting to see it, but the, the way everybody kind of went nuts and crazy over the speculation and the talk of, of Vince selling the company to uh, Saudi Arabia and, and just that back, you know, nothing has been confirmed. Nothing has been, they there hasn't even been a sale confirmed Uh I think that though everybody is betting that that's going to happen, and I'm among those who think that the company is being poised to be sold. But the way people reacted to it being sold to Saudi Arabia and not even knowing and, and throwing WWE and Vince McMahon and, and you know the board and, and everyone else under the bus, just chill the hell out, man. I, I cannot stand, and as I get older, this becomes even more of an annoyance for me. These so-called wrestling journalists who post rumors, who post bullshit without confirming, without knowing for sure. They just want the clicks. They want you to click on it. They want you to click on their stuff so they get the the cha-ching from it. And that's how it works. And that's how a lot of it works. But I'm in the wrestling bubble uh, as far as that goes and, and seeing it and knowing that that's exactly what they're doing. They don't care if they're accurate or right. They want you to click on it. They want you to comment on it. They want you to retweet it or repost it on your Facebook wall or talk about it on Instagram or do a YouTube video about it. But it's all bullshit. And I encourage you that if you see that, 
don't share it, don't retweet it, don't repurpose it, don't put it out there. It's never going to end, but we can at least take some small steps in preventing it. That's my rant. That's my one, two, three cents for that particular topic. Because again, I, I just find it incredibly irritating and annoying when, you know, these journalists, again, air quotes here, are posting stuff with no journalistic integrity, which by this time in 2023, you know, in this day and age, maybe journalistic integrity across the board is is gone or diminishing for sure. Uh, but especially in the wrestling space, it's it's super annoying. And I know me bitching about it is probably even more annoying. So I'm going to move on. And uh, as I mentioned, it is Wrestling Under the Influence. Um, I picked this up actually last week on the trip to Chicago. Uh, stopped in at World Market and they had a can of Candy Crushable. It's a pale ale with lactose sugar added by 18th Street Brewery. And uh, 18th Street Brewery is located in Hammond, Indiana. Uh, this is a pint. It's 4.5% alcohol by volume. $3.49, by the way, for this can of beer. And it is a pint, so not a bad deal at all with that. The can, the artwork on the can is very uh, fun. It's uh, one of those old old school, you know, the mouth that you would turn the little crank on and it would jabber back and forth, you know, make noises and stuff. If you're old like me, you remember these. Um, and then it's got a bunch of candy that's being, you know, like rock candy. It looks like the, uh, oh, the pop rocks, but, uh, you know, again, candy crushable and, and because of it being candy crushable, I'm going to talk about crush today, but we'll, we'll get to crush in just a moment. Let's first though, pop this can open, do the pour, which obviously you're not watching, so you can't see it, but you hopefully can hear the pour. Looks very good. It's not what I expected. I was expecting it's. This is more of a. I guess it's more. Eh, it's kind of ambery colored. Um, I was expecting something a little darker, like a red-ish color, um, and it's got a little hint of that, but uh, doesn't look bad at all. Of course, I poured this with a lot of head on it, which somebody told me very recently that you want to give it, <laughs> you want to give it some head because. That helps with the carbonation and, and the gases and all that good stuff. But uh, let's give this a try. It smells very sweet. And of course, I expected that because it is a pale ale with lactose sugar added to it. Um, so let's let's give this a whirl. Hmm. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, It's got a nice sweet flavor to it, but it also tastes a little like it might be not, uh, and I'm looking on here to see when, when it was brewed. Oh, here it is. Okay. So this was brewed almost a year ago. So maybe that's why it was on the clearance rack at, uh, at world market. So it's been around for almost a year, which I I think with craft beer for most of them, you know, six months to a year is is about the shelf life for it. That's what I've heard. I don't know how true that is. I have had some before that turned out to be pretty crappy. So um, 
I don't hate this. I think that if it, I do think though that it has lost some of its luster. Um, but I don't hate it. Uh, so uh, as far as a, as a grade, as a mark, um, I'm going to deduct a little bit because of the, the time. That's not the beer's fault, obviously, though. Uh, but it does take a little bit away from the pleasure of it. I'll give it a two count. I'll give it a two count. I'm, I'm not going to raise its hand in victory, but I'm also not going to uh, completely dispel it or disqualify it or, or keep it out of contention, keeping it in wrestling terms. But again, Candy Crushable by 18th Street Brewery. And uh, it looks like they like to have fun with their artwork and whatnot. So I'll definitely find more from them. I, I really find myself uh, with with the craft beer enjoying the artwork on a lot of the, the cans and bottles. Um, and again, you can go check out the beer advent calendar from Christmas time, all the holiday beers, um, over on the My123Cents YouTube channel. And more content, new content coming that way very, very soon as well. But let's talk about Crush. So uh, I'm going off of my memories of Crush, Brian Adams, the man who uh, portrayed that character in the WWF um, slash WWE. And I'm, I'm also, I have whipped out my WWE Encyclopedia, the definitive guide to world wrestling entertainment. And I believe this is from... I think I got this Christmas 2010. So it's it's an older book. I think this is the first version of the encyclopedia. I think they have since created another one. But there is a whole page on Crush. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go, again, like I said, off memory. And then also use some of this as a support. Because it's a very quick little synopsis when you think about Crush and his time in the WWF. He was there. Uh, I think about six, seven years. I think he left after the uh, Montreal screw job and went to uh, WCW and wrestled as himself, I think, in the tag team chronic with uh, the former Adam Bomb, Brian Clark. Uh, but we'll get to that in, in a few minutes. Um, I remember Crush showing up for the very first time in WWF again. I, I think I saw him leading up to this maybe in the aftermags i again fuzzy 32 33 years ago now so fuzzy on that but i believe it was right after wrestlemania 6 in the spring of 1990 that we saw crush um, emerge for the first time as the third member of demolition and and demolition at this time was still kind of Baby, they were baby faces. They had just won the tag team titles back from Andre the Giant and Haku. But I think they were maybe turning into that tweener mode and eventually going full back into the uh, rule breaker, the, the heel mode, uh, and, and going back under the tutelage of Mr. Fuji. Although I don't think Mr. Fuji came in until Axe left the company uh, in the fall of 1990. But Again, going off memory here. So, um, you know, bringing in the third member of Crush, you know, at the time, I didn't think a whole lot about it. I, I was not crazy about him because Demolition was, at that time, my favorite tag team um, in the WWF and, and in wrestling. I, I really had come to enjoy them. Uh, I really thought when they um, left Mr. Fuji in, in 1988 at the Survivor Series and became 
good guys and and had that miraculous that uh, you know at that time record setting run with the tag team titles. Now since then I know that New Day and I think the Usos have both surpassed that original record set by Axe and Smash of Demolition. But I really enjoyed that duo and then bringing Crush in. It felt kind of like on a sitcom when they bring in a new character, they have another baby, or they bring in uh, a cousin Oliver, if you will, for them from the Brady Bunch. Uh, it's kind of like that's when things have jumped shark, and we're seeing a change. And I think by 1990, uh, you know, Demolition was uh, what three ish years, three and a half years going strong in the company. Um, again, like I said, very consistent, uh, putting on excellent matches. And, and this was also about the time that Legion of Doom was headed to the WWF. Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors, coming over from, from WCW. And I think everybody was waiting and looking forward to the Axe and Smash versus Hawk and Animal. And I think we got it on a small scale, but you know, by, by the time Legion of Doom really came in and, and started getting their feet wet in the company, Crush was, was moving into his role, and Axe was kind of, <clears throat> I don't want to say being phased out, I'm again just kind of going off of what I remember as a fan, uh, but I do know that, that he was having, he being uh, Axe, uh, Bill Eady was was having some health issues, I believe, at the time, and was looking to kind of cut back. And so I feel like he was kind of the manager uh, of Crush and Smash. And, you know, again, it wasn't the same. It was it just Demolition did not have that same feel. Um, and so that was kind of, you know, I was already kind of like not into Crush with, with that inter- iteration of him. Uh, of course, we see Axe leave the company right after Survivor Series. It was the, the the Warriors versus the perfect team, which was Mr. Perfect, Axe, Smash, and Crush. And I think Axe was eliminated within minutes of that match starting. Um, and I don't think we saw Axe come back after that. And so then it was uh, Smash and, and Crush bringing Mr. Fuji in. Uh, and, you know, really, I, I feel like the team that dominated the WWF for so many years was a shell of its former self and, you know, was putting over other teams and, and, you know, on the losing end a lot of the time. And I don't know exactly when in 1991 things went completely south. I know they had the match at WrestleMania seven against the team from Japan. And, and I don't have the list in front of me, so I don't, I don't remember exactly who they wrestled, but they end up losing that match, and I don't. I don't think they were very long for the world after that. I don't remember them being a part of SummerSlam '91, and I don't remember them being a part of Survivor Series. Um, and I, sometime in 1992, and this is actually where the WWF Encyclopedia picks things up, is in 1992. It says, in 1992, World Wrestling Entertainment was greeted by a happy man from the Hawaiian Islands with massive power named Kona Crush. Soon after his debut, he shortened his name to Crush and did exactly that to his opponents. He met Doink at WrestleMania 9, where the audiences saw two Doinks attack Crush. I'm going to stop it right there. So, 
1992, I think it must have been probably the summer of 92, maybe the spring of 92. I do remember the vignettes of Crush being in Hawaii. And, and I thought it was odd because I don't, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember another character in WWE keeping the same name but having so many different gimmicks. And I know I've just mentioned two. We've got a couple more that we're going to talk about here in, in a few minutes. But um, this is probably an unpopular opinion. But Kona Crush was my favorite incarnation of Crush. And I think we have, uh, and again, going off of memory here, we have Demolition Crush. We have Kona Crush, who wore the orange and yellow and purple um, and was a babyface. I, I enjoyed that crush. Then we had kind of um, the heel turn, and and you know, I, I don't. He was managed by Mister Fuji. I don't know exactly the best incarnation of of what to call that crush. Then we had you know, kind of prisoner crush who was part of the Nation of Domination. He had. Uh, I don't know if he really legitimately had gone to jail or if, if that was part of the story. But anyway, he came back and had the tattoo on his face. And then we had more of the biker crush who was part of the Disciples of Apocalypse, the the DOA. Um, but of those incarnations, and again, kept the same name through all of that. And I don't know, I can't remember if they referenced the previous versions when the new version came out or not. But um, I do know for me, Kona Crush... Uh, not just because he was a, a good guy through that, um, but I think that, in my opinion, his stuff with Doink, especially at WrestleMania 9, to me, that was the highlight of WrestleMania 9. And that's not saying a whole lot for that card because I know it is kind of uh, one of those that is is criticized by a lot of folks. Uh, of course, that was Bret Hart and Yokozuna in the main event, and Hulk Hogan comes out and wins the championship uh, wasn't even supposed to be a part of it, but for me, I, 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 I loved the double doinks and the attack on crush and how they kind of played him, um, you know, for the fool and, and the picture that they have, which I believe this is from, I don't know that this specific picture is from that, but I know that crush met repo man at SummerSlam 92. And, and we have crush hoisting Repo Man over his head. Uh, and of course, Repo Man is the former smash of Demolition. Um, and so, uh, you know, one member gets a new name and a new look, and the other member just gets a new look in Crush. And and again, I, I can't say it enough. I, I find that very interesting that they did that with his character. Um, and I do know that very briefly, Crush teamed up with Animal, after Hawk left the WWF after SummerSlam 92. Um, that team was very short-lived. Uh, and we saw, of course, like I mentioned, at some point in 93, I know that Crush wrestled Shawn Michaels at King of the Ring for the Intercontinental Championship. And I actually was kind of pulling for Crush at that point. I, was, I, I wouldn't have been opposed to him winning. Um, he did not. And at some point, I think by the fall of that year, he changes his attitude. He turns on the Macho Man, Randy Savage. And that's where we get kind of the 
karate crush, martial arts crush, maybe. I don't, I don't know the best way to, to phrase it, but he changes his look up. He starts wearing some face paint, goes with Mr. Fuji. Uh, and, and again, through all of this, from Smash to, or I'm sorry, from Demolition to now, to uh, this this new incarnation, the mullet is still in full effect. I love the Kentucky Waterfall on Crush too. Uh, so let's pick back up where the encyclopedia had to say. Um, you know, they claim it was right after the match with Doink, but I, I think it was probably at least a few months because, again, we got to King of the Ring and it was still Kona Crush. But anyway, uh, after this match, his attitude changed and he fell under the dangerous influence of Mr. Fuji. Now using the heart punch to finish opponents, he attacked his former friend, Macho Man Randy Savage. The battles between the two raged on in their Falls Count Anywhere match at WrestleMania 10. And that was, you know, that was a big match there. Um, again, this was kind of a time in, in WWF and, and in wrestling in general where there was a lull. You know, we were without Hulk Hogan. Randy Savage was kind of part-time wrestler, part-time commentator. Um, and, I, and I felt like this feud with Crush, to me, it kind of fell short. Um, I didn't feel anything uh, overly exciting about it. Um, that was in 1994, and I don't know what, and this may have been then when, because uh, I do think there was something with, maybe with steroids and, and drugs of some kind and, and him going to jail, uh, because he comes back in 1996, and that's where the encyclopedia picks it up. He was first a member of the Nation of Domination, of course, that was with Farouk, Ron Simmons, um, and Savio Vega, so the three of them made up uh, uh Nation of Domination, of course, things split off, and he formed the Disciples of Apocalypse faction with Chain, Skull, and 8-Ball. After he left the WWF, he competed in WCW in Japan, but a spinal injury forced him into retirement. Tragically, in 1990, I'm sorry, in August of 2007, he passed away. Whether he was beloved or booed, this powerhouse was one of the WWE's biggest superstars of the 90s. So yeah, you know, obviously, again, the encyclopedia has a very small, very concise uh, write-up on on these superstars, but uh, I, I wanted to kind of look back and, and remember Crush, but also talk about my favorite incarnation of him. I, I, I'm curious to hear who or what version of Crush you enjoyed the most. Was it Demolition? Was it Kona Crush? Was it, uh, I'm calling it Karate Crush because he's got a karate stance in this encyclopedia. Uh, was it the um, Nation of Domination Crush, which I think was different somewhat from the Disciples of Apocalypse Crush, but maybe I'm misremembering it. And then, uh, you know, it kind of briefly goes over him leaving to go to WCW where he was uh, uh, just wrestling as, I think he wrestled as himself, Brian Adams. And then even when WCW was purchased by WWE and, and there was that tag team cage match to unify the tag team titles because I believe uh, Adams and, and uh, Brian Clark were, they were chronic. They were the tag team champions at the time. Um, and those belts, I think, and maybe I'm wrong. I, I'm really trying to remember this. Um, they had that cage. I thought it was a cage match against Undertaker and Kane to unify the belts, but now I'm thinking, was that DDP and Canyon? I don't remember now, but anyway, I know that they were, that Chronic was on WWE, WWF television very briefly. It did not last very long. 
um, and Crush went away and, and like we said, in, in 2007, sadly died. <clears throat> and he was a young man. I don't, I don't have his age in front of me, but I know that he was, was a young man at the time of his death gone way too soon. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, you know, to me, better in that role as Kona Crush, um, I think maybe in the in the you know the faction with with DOA he did he did just fine, um, maybe with a different manager different you know again the nineties especially the nineties WWE WWF much different than it was in the eighties where we saw the rise of the managers you know Bobby Heenan and Jimmy Hart and Mr Fuji and Slick and Freddie Blassie and Elizabeth and uh, Sensational Sherry but then by the nineties a lot of the managers especially especially after like 93, 94, the managers are all kind of fading away, not counting Paul Bearer, of course. But uh, for the most part, the whole role of the manager went away. But I, I wonder if Crush had been paired with someone other than Mr. Fuji, who was focusing on Yokozuna at the time. I, I feel like maybe he would have had a different run in that heel role uh, after turning on Randy Savage and and maybe would have had a, a bit more time there. But again, I don't remember the timeline with, with him getting in trouble and, and having to leave for a bit and, and coming back um, in late or in sometime in 96 and doing the whole nation of domination thing. But anyway, a memorable character. I did enjoy uh, crush from day one, you know, and, and again, I, I remember seeing in the magazines, I think after the fact, they kind of pointed out that he was in Portland. Uh, so obviously had not, my first time seeing him was on WWF television as, uh, you know, painted up and, and, and wrestling as crush. I don't know if he, if the crush name came with him from Portland or not. I I don't remember that part, but, uh, again, someone gone way, way too soon. So friends, again, let me know what your thoughts are. What are your favorite version or what was your favorite version of crush? Um, and, uh, let me know what else you'd like to hear and see from the, my one, two, three cents brand, uh, in 2023. Thank you so much for listening. And we will talk again very soon. This is a production of the jittery monkey podcast network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com.